This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. Open up your Bibles, if you would please, to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. As I mentioned, uh, when we welcomed new members this morning, we have been in a uh, series called Refocus, where we are seeking to look afresh at our... uh, at our core values, what the Lord's called us to, what our mission is. And so we looked at the Great Commission out of Matthew 28. Last week we looked at, uh, we did a uh, more of a topical message on making disciples and talked about what is a disciple. It's a very basic fundamental question that's worth our revisiting regularly. A disciple is a learner. Literally, it's a learner. A disciple is a student. A disciple is one who follows Jesus. That was his invitation. It wasn't just come to class, but it was follow me with your life. Someone who has been called by Jesus, has received the grace of God, has uh, believed in the gospel, what Jesus did in his death, burial, and resurrection to forgive us from our sins and to grant us new life and give us power to follow him. So we're chosen by him, called by him to follow him. Uh, We do that together. Disciples are in community. A community of disciples, a family of disciples is called the church. Uh, we do that to become more like our teacher. We're called to become like Christ, and he, he uh, transforms us in community together as we listen to his word and obey it, and we are called to make other disciples. So today what I want to talk about is uh, the priorities of a disciple. So we have said as a church we feel called to make disciples who love Jesus, his church, and his world. And today we're going to start talking about those uh, priorities, and we're going to find these priorities uh, in a passage often called the Great Commandment. So we looked at the Great Commission, now we're looking at the Great Commandment out of Mark 12, Mark 12, beginning in verse 28. Hear this, this is the Word of God uh, from Mark 12:28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, No one dared to ask him any more questions. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this great commandment, and we pray that today you would show us a fresh vision um, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Spirit of God, we pray that you would open up our eyes to this text, to your word, and that we would behold Christ um, and his love, and that, Lord, we would be empowered to respond to the command we We uh, see here, Lord, help us to be lovers of you. Help us to see you in your preeminence and in your glory, that we might respond with a life devoted 
to the one who is over all. Give us a heart of affection and love and desire for you and your purposes, we pray, as we look at this passage today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, in, in the Gospel of Mark, here's what's happening. Jesus has come to Jerusalem for the last time. And so this is the last week of his life. What we're reading here is the last week of Jesus' life, and he has been engaged in dialogue, or I guess we could say debate. He's just had the Sadducees asking him questions, trying to trap him. Uh, the religious leaders are looking for an opportunity to be able to justifiably execute him. And uh, so he is engaging with various people, and, and this, this guy, a scribe, which is a religious leader, a a theologian, a wise religious leader among the Jews. He hears Jesus, verse 28, he hears him talking with the Sadducees, and he's rather impressed with Jesus. And so uh, he comes up to Jesus to ask him a question himself, and the question is found in verse 28 at the end, which commandment is the most important of all? Now, there's nothing about this question that appears insincere. It doesn't appear that this man's trying to trap him necessarily. Uh, he seems like he is asking a sincere question, and it wouldn't be unusual for uh, theologians of Jesus' day to ask. This was asked sometime that people wanted to know, what is, can you give me a summary of the law? Can you prioritize the commands? How, how do you, Rabbi Jesus, the teacher Jesus, how do you train your disciples in what is the, the, the priority command? So we don't know what all is going on in his heart. Is he trying to measure himself against the teaching and, and self-justify himself? Or is he really just wanting to know um, and he wants to, maybe he's checking Jesus out and wants to see, would he give a biblical answer to the question he asks? So he asks a question that's not unusual and on the face of it doesn't appear insincere. And so Jesus answers the question and he gives a very succinct answer by combining two Old Testament verses. Now these two hadn't been combined like he does here to give the summary of the law. So Jesus is giving a succinct description of what is most important. And he first of all quotes from Deuteronomy 6. He says this, verse 29, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Um, and, verse 30, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. This was called the Shema, uh, which is, uh, comes from the Hebrew verb, which means to hear, because it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And a faithful uh, Israelite would confess that verse every morning and every evening. So on a daily basis, they were saying twice a day, confessing, saying the Shema, which was, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second thing he does is quote from Leviticus 19. And there he says, the second one, verse 39, is this, you shall love, I'm sorry, verse 31, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So he combines these together and he says, these, this is the great call. This is the great responsibility of a believer in the Lord. It's powerful that the Jewish people daily would remember this truth that our God is one. There is one God and he is our God. Uh, that's, a, that's very helpful for us to remember as well. We live in a culture that increasingly is pressing on us uh, and opposing us in any way that we would say that our God is unique, 
which this confession says, that he is the one God, that he is the only God, that he is our God. It says, you shall love the Lord your God, that there is one God and he has a people. That is not a popular message. It's, it's exclusivistic and it doesn't play well in a pluralistic society. Uh, but it is the truth of the scripture and Jesus emphasizes that to him. You shall love the Lord and love your neighbor. So he makes it very clear. Love God and love others. The, the whole law is summarized right there. You could hang all the law on those two points. Love God and love others. We see this in the Ten Commandments. The first four commandments are Godward, uh, starting with you'll have, you shall have no other gods before me, starting their Godward, and commandments five through ten are manward. They're about how we relate to others. So it's about love for God and love for others. We see that in the law. So he is, he is saying that these are the two important things. And really, all the rest of the Bible fleshes out those two commands. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That is the priority. Our, and he is highlighting the preeminence of God because we should love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. What Jesus is saying is he's quoting the scripture and he's pointing out that God is preeminent. He is glorious. Our entire lives are to be molded around love for him with all our heart. The heart represents our emotions, our desires, our passions, that our passion, our affection is to be for God. And we're to love him with all our heart, with all our soul. That's our, our, the very life within us, our vitality, uh, the very essence of who we are, our soul. Our mind, that's our ability to think, to reason, to understand, to discern. Uh, we're, to, we're to love him with our mind, which we're doing right now as we think about the scripture. We're, we're seeking to love God with our mind, with all our strength. We're to love him with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's all of our physical ability, all that we have, all of our energy to be, to be marshaled, to be leveraged for love for God. Now, what he's not doing here is kind of defining the nature of man. He's not telling us these are the sort of constituent parts of the human person. There's heart, there's soul, there's mind, there's body. That's not what he's doing here. What he's emphasizing is that all of our faculties are to be spent in love for God. All is the key word. It's used four times. All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. So what's being talked about here is a life of loving devotion towards God. We could say towards Jesus. He is God. Towards Christ with all that we are. And so when, when the scribe hears this, he, he sort of congratulates God. He sort of congratulates Jesus. Verse 32, the scribe said to him, you're right, teacher. That's very meaningful. You're right, teacher, to tell Jesus he's right. You have truly said that he is one and there's no one other. So you've already said he's one God and he's the only God. And uh, he, he commends Jesus because he says you're to love him. That's true. That's what the Bible teaches. And that is much more important than burnt offering and sacrifices. So here's what the scribe gets. He gets that this is the priority and he gets that this is the priority over external religious service absent from the heart. So let me say it again. What he's saying is that he says that just bring in an offering 
Just bringing a sacrifice, that's not the ultimate call. It's loving God. It's what's inside of us. It's a heart that loves God and then brings sacrifice, then obeys his word, then serves him based out of the heart. So he even gets that. And Jesus says, verse 34, he answered wisely, or actually Jesus saw that he answered wisely. So Jesus sees this guy has got something. He understands that the priority is to God above all, to love God. He understands that this is evaluated from our heart and not just externally. Are we religious people? But it's from the heart. But Jesus says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You're close, but you're not in. He's missing something. And he's missing something really big because... Though he's close, he's missing something that keeps him out of the kingdom of God, that keeps him out of relationship with Jesus. He's missing something, something really big, and it's this, that in the dialogue with Christ, he doesn't see his need or he doesn't acknowledge and recognize his need for a Savior. He doesn't recognize his need for Jesus See, he understands the command, but he doesn't acknowledge in this passage that he realizes he could never obey that command. And he needs a Savior to rescue him from himself. This command is easy to understand, and it is impossible to fulfill. And that's what this guy doesn't understand. You are near the kingdom because you understand what you're supposed to do, but you are not in the kingdom because you haven't done what you are supposed to do. You know what you're supposed to do, but you haven't done it. He hasn't seen his need. He hasn't seen Jesus as the Savior. He doesn't understand that Jesus completely obeyed this command. That Jesus loved the Father with all his heart, all his soul, all his mind, all his strength, every second of his life. He doesn't get that Jesus always loved his neighbor as himself. That he had flawless devotion to the Father, flawless obedience to the Scripture all of his life. He doesn't understand that. And he doesn't understand that Jesus' obedience is credited to the person who believes in him. That we all have a problem. We have not fulfilled this verse, this command. Jesus says this is the summary of the law. We have not fulfilled that. None of us can because we're sinful. But Jesus did fulfill that. And if we turn from our sin and believe in him, if we are converted, we believe in Christ, then his righteousness is credited to us. His obedience is our record What he didn't say here, what he doesn't seem to get is, that's the goal, and I have failed. But Jesus succeeded, and through Jesus, I receive righteousness. And he also doesn't know yet that Jesus will die for our sins. So for every time that we have failed to love God, for every time that we have failed to love neighbor, those are sins, and Jesus' death on the cross pays for those sins. Jesus, who is perfect, died for the guilty. I I know this is very basic. If you've been around, you've heard this before, but it is so crucial because it is possible to be very near the kingdom, but not in it. One commentator said, it's possible to be an inch from heaven and go to hell. 
it is possible to be very near. And that's why, well, that's why we don't tire of teaching this every week, because it's the central message of the Bible. It is what we will celebrate for all eternity. Jesus, the lamb who is sacrificed for sinners. Jesus, the substitute who gives himself for us. And there's probably, uh, there's probably very few burdens that register as high in my life as the burden of considering that there may be people that attend our church on a weekly basis that are not far from the kingdom of God, but not in. People who are doing the right things, generally speaking, people who regularly attend, people who find a spot to participate, people who read their Bible on occasion, people who give of their time and of their finances on occasion, people who are having the, the moral kind of lifestyle of a Christian but have never encountered the living Jesus, who've never had the Spirit of God give them new life. It's, it's a major burden for the next generation that those being raised in the church don't just grow up going through the motions because church is something we do and Jesus is someone my parents believe in. But folks who, who are young people who are in the kingdom because they've crossed over the line into repentance and faith and have believed in Jesus and he's given them a new heart and a new life. It's a warning. You are not far from the kingdom of God. It serves to us as a warning that there are always people like that who think highly of Jesus. He commends Jesus. Jesus commends him for understanding the scripture to some degree and being wise. And yet he's not in the kingdom because he's never received new life. He's never believed. And he's never cast all his trust on Jesus. He's never said, I will follow you with my life. See, this is what the religious scholar needs here. He needs forgiveness for breaking this command, and he needs power to begin to live out this command as a believer in Jesus. He needs Jesus to forgive him, and he needs the Holy Spirit to come live in him and empower him with the power to walk after the Lord. He needs a new heart. See, that's what Jesus, Jesus told another religious leader. You must have a new birth. You must be born again. You must have a new life. It's not about embracing religious practices. It's not about cleaning yourself up and being moral. It's about being dead and then being alive. And we receive that by believing in Christ who died for our sins, was buried, was raised on the third day. What this guy needs is a new heart. The sign in the old covenant before Jesus, the sign of being a part of God's people, uh, the sign for males was circumcision. That was the mark, the sign that someone was a part of God's people. In the new covenant, after Jesus comes, it's not that. It's not a physical circumcision that, that represents. It's it's what the Bible calls this is a strange phrase, but what the strange to us. But what the Bible calls is a circumcision of the heart. It means that there is an internal change in us. That's what we need. Deuteronomy 36 said this. It looked forward to the day of a new covenant. And Deuteronomy 30 verse 6 says this. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. 
the new covenant in Jesus. Jesus comes, he dies for our sins, he pours out the Holy Spirit, and he gives us a new heart so that Deuteronomy 36 says, so with your new heart, with your circumcised heart, with your new heart, you will love the Lord your God. You will love him with all your heart and with all your soul. You will live. See, you don't love God and serve God to get a new heart. You get a new heart, and then you love God and serve God. You don't obey so that, the God, so that God approves of you and the Spirit empowers you. You recognize your disobedience and receive Christ so that then, as a new believer, as a new person, the Spirit empowers you and you have a heart to love Jesus. The, the person that has a new heart and has a heart empowered by the Spirit who sees Jesus as Savior will desire to love the Lord. And we'll desire to love neighbor. We won't do it perfectly. We will fail. But that is a foundational mark of a disciple. A disciple is someone who loves the Lord above all else. Why? Because because they have new life. They're not seeking to obey that command to be approved by God. They've already been approved by God. And now they're living out that command. So this command, first of all, tells us our need of a Savior. Once we see our need of a Savior, this becomes, this becomes the roadmap of the Christian life. How do we follow? What does following the Lord look like? It looks like loving him with all of our life, and it looks like loving other people. When we speak of making disciples who love Jesus, what we're saying is we're talking about people who first realize they are loved by Jesus. That's what this man needs. He needs to realize that you can't love the Lord perfectly to be right with him, but the Lord has loved you perfectly in Christ. And if you receive him, believe in him, receive his love, then you are empowered to love him. To love the Lord, we must first receive the Lord's love. We must be the recipient of his saving power. That's what the guy doesn't acknowledge in this passage. And so he is not far from the kingdom, but he's not in. 1 John 4, 19 says it this way. We love because he first loved us. We can only love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength as we are aware that he has loved us, as we receive his love, as we follow him. Following Jesus starts with receiving from Jesus. Last week we talked about making disciples. Disciples, a follower. Following Jesus starts with receiving from Jesus. It's not something you do for Jesus. It's something he's done for you and then calls you to follow. And then based on his spirit within you and his power, then you follow and love him with your heart and if with your life. So it's, that, that's the fuel for walking with the Lord. First John 4.10 says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's the sacrifice, a sacrifice that takes the wrath of God. That's what propitiation means. So this is love. Not that we love God. Love the Lord your God. I want to be a disciple who loves the Lord. Okay, we don't start with that. We start with he loved us. This is love, that he loved us and gave his life as a sacrifice, took the judgment of the Father for us. That's the starting place. And then, believing there, we are empowered to love him. Some of us in the room, we want to love him and serve him to gain his love. We think that if we love the Lord, if we serve the Lord, if we do things for the Lord, then we will get his approval. And last week's message on discipleship, that just sounded like a way 
that, that could be a way for God to finally get to feel good about myself and receive the love of God by going and doing those things. But that's not true. As children, we've already, we already have his love. We love him based on his love for us. We love him because we're already approved by him in Christ. We love him because we already experienced his favor. This is a grace-driven command. We must see our need for a Savior, and then we must receive love from the Savior. That's what the religious leader needed. He needed to see Christ as Savior, receive love from him. Okay, so how do we love Jesus? If the calling is to love Jesus, if we cannot do that apart from knowing him and experiencing his love, what does loving Jesus look like? A disciple, a follower of Jesus who loves him, what does that look like? Here's the short answer. The short answer is found in John 14, 15. Actually, I think this is mentioned four times in that chapter. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So Jesus says the, follow, the person who loves Christ is the person that obeys him. It's not the person that just speaks words of love, um, but the person who is following him. Not perfectly, but following him and growing along the way to become more like him. So that's what love looks like. So really, we could say, what does it mean to be a disciple that loves Jesus? We could speak on him. We could speak on loving him in all of our lives. So we could say, loving the Lord is, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So it's loving him in our home. What does that look like? In our family, what does it look like to love the Lord? We could talk about that. We could talk about what does it look like to love the Lord around people that don't know him, and how do we reach them? We could talk about that. We could talk about how does it look, what does it look like to love the Lord on my job and in my work? How do I love the Lord through what I do? How do I obey his commands in my job? How do I love him in the way I manage my finances? How do I love him through my recreation? How do I obey the Lord in my recreational life? How do I obey the Lord in caring for the needy? How do I obey the Lord um, in reading my scripture? What, what, what does it look like? So in many ways, we could talk about all of life, and this would be a really long sermon. So we could talk about all of life. What I want to do today is I want to talk about two expressions of love for the Lord. I'm not going to pull a rabbit out of the hat. There is no magic. You're not going to hear anything new. I don't think in this sermon you're going to hear anything new. But the greatest part of teaching is reminder anyway. That's what C.S. Lewis said. It says something like that, that teaching is really about reminder. So I'm here to remind you today of something that you probably already know. Here are two essential core practices of the life of a disciple who loves the Lord. One of them you're doing right now. Uh, I hope you're doing right now. It, it is these two things. It is private worship and public worship. Private worship and public worship. All of life is worship in one sense. All of life is to be lived for worship. But there's something unique about when the people of God gather together like we are right now. And so what I want to talk about is sort of our corporate devotion, we could say, and our personal devotion. Corporate devotion and personal devotion. This is corporate devotion. We love the Lord. And we want to love him with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We want to recognize his preeminence. We want to recognize who he is and what he's done for us. We want to receive his love and respond with a life of love. And one primary expression of that is in corporate worship, gathered worship, the people of God gathering together. Disciples are plural. And so when the disciples come together, the church, when we come together, we come together to express love for the Lord. This commandment is to be fulfilled when we gather on Sundays. Now, we live in a culture that's very individualistic. 
And so if we started talking about love, we wouldn't even think about how do we love someone together. We're very individualistic. So we don't think in those terms. But God created you as an individual, but he created you to connect to his people so that with his people in an individualistic culture, we could be those who understand his purpose and love him together. In the scripture, we find a very high priority on the people of God coming together. As a matter of fact, a day of the week, the people of God were commanded to rest. And part of that reason was so that they would be able to worship. So it is vital that we be a people who express our love by lovingly worshiping him together. We express our devotion as a people. So we're not here because of empty obligation. We're not here because of formality. Or as the, as the scribe said, we're not here just for sacrifice, some kind of religious activity. We're here, or we should be, God calls us to be here because we love him. I mean, think about that. We're here because we love him. That's to be our motivation. If we're to love him with all our heart, that's our motivation on Sundays. I mean, what would it be like if you're a, if you're a married guy, what would it be like if you, you know, asked your wife, hey, this Friday night, asked her ahead of time, uh, hey, you know, uh, Friday night, we don't have anything, no, do we know? Uh, how would you like to go out? We want to have a special night just with you together that we could go out uh, this Friday night on a date. How, how, would, how does that sound? Now, how would you feel if you were a husband, or if you could imagine yourself, how would you feel if she says, well, I guess if I'm obligated to, I could do Friday night. I mean, if I have to, if that's kind of what's required, I think you'd say, well, I'll save my money. Um, <laughs> and yet... And yet it could be some people come to worship the Lord, not, not motivated by love, but by obligation. And he wants, love, he wants our hearts. He wants our heart in worship. Or what if she said, um, oh, Friday night? Well, yeah, uh, if, 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 if I go, if we go, if we do it, will you love me then? Well, I mean, will you approve of me? Will you accept me if, if, if we go out? If I say yes on Friday night, you'd be thinking, what are you talking about? Will I love you if you accompany me on an evening together? No, I'm asking you because I love you. That's because I want, we're, we're one. We're sharing our lives together. And yet some of us can say, well, I'm here. I want to do something to earn the Lord's favor or love. We, we come to worship because he has already extended that to us. Or what if you asked, you said, hey, to your wife or your girlfriend, if you're dating, and you said, hey, let's, let's go out and... She said, oh, that would be great and seemed enthusiastic. But in the e-restaurant in the evening, spent the entire evening looking at her phone. And usually it's the other way around, isn't it? But uh, so the ladies get a shot here too. So the, the, she's looking at her phone and you're there. It's time to be with you, but she's oh yeah, texting. And the, oh yeah, she's posting something on Facebook. She n- never engages. She's completely distracted the entire time. You'd say, thanks for showing up, but I didn't feel an expression of your love tonight. And the same can be true for us. We can just gather, and it's not motivated by love. We're just distracted. It's motivated by obligation. It's motivated by winning God's favor or something like that. You want the one you love to be with you and enjoying time together because he loves you. She loves you. That's why. That's why. 
And God has loved us in Christ so that we would come and express love to him in worship. Psalm 31 uh, really plays this out in a very clear way where David the psalmist talks about God's love for him and then calls the people to love God. Watch this. It's Psalm 31, verses 21 through 24. Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me. God has shown his love to me. When I was in a besieged city, besieged means you're in a city, the army's outside, doesn't let any food in or anything like that, so you you die by starvation or no water, whatever. So I was in a besieged city. I had said in my alarm, I'm cut off from your sight, but you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. That was his steadfast love. You uh, love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. So the first verse was, he has wondrously shown his steadfast love. And then later, this is the call. Love the Lord, all you saints. He has shown steadfast love. Now let's love him. The the Psalms are used for corporate worship. This would have been something spoken, something said, an exhortation given. Hey, everybody, love Jesus. He's had great love for us. Now let's get together and through our liturgy, our service, this, 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 what we're doing this morning, let's express our love from him to him with our heart, our soul, our mind, and strength. All that we are doing as a people here is responding to his loving devotion. So for instance, right now, we are loving him by gathering to hear his word proclaimed. When you love someone, you want to hear what they have to say. And when you are serving God Almighty, you're an object of his love. You received his love. You want to hear his word to you. And so we gather to hear weekly of of his law, his his commands to us. We are aware of our failures in those areas. And we hear of his gospel to us, his love to forgive us and give us new life. We hear of his plan for us and his power to enable us to live out his plan and to love him. So we are hearing from God every time we gather. We're reminded of his love and we're called to go out and live our life in love to him and in love to others. So we're not just like going through a sermon or we just kind of needed to do a series. This is to equip us to live a life of, as a disciple, to follow him. And we're hearing together and asking him to empower us to serve together. So we, we love him by gathering to hear his word. We love him by gathering to sing his praises. As we sing, this is a, an expression of our heart together. With, this is partly our strength with our bodies So we use our voices and we sing to the Lord. We're gathered to sing. We're gathered to love him with our minds. So as the words are projected up here, we're reading them and we we have the privilege of thinking about that truth. That is truth. And Lord, I love you. I love your truth. Psalm 119 multiple times talks about, I love your word. I love your statutes. Lord, we love because they reveal you. So we're singing not because, oh, that is a great, I love that song. 
you know, oh, wow, what's the arrangement of that song? Oh, I love that one. I love the, it's it's not that I I, I like that song. It's that the message of that is a song to the Lord. It's a way we love him through our singing. It's not just some warm-up for the sermon. Let's get, let's do a few preliminary songs, and then that'll kind of get everybody, that'll kind of get everybody all, you know, loosened up. And then they'll be ready to hear the word of God. We'll give them the punch there. But let's just get them everybody. No, that is, that is the deal. We're singing because we love you, Lord. With our heart, our affections, with our mouths, with our minds, with our strength, which represents our hands, our voice, kneeling, whatever, however we're expressing worship to him, listening to him. So really, that is, a, that, that is a primary expression of why we're here. We're here to love the Lord. He's not looking for people to just offer empty religious duty. Matter of fact, in the Old Testament, he says, just get that out of here. He's not looking for someone to check the box by coming to church. He's looking for disciples who have been rescued by the love of Jesus, transformed and being transformed by the Spirit, and overflowing with love to God. And so that should, anim- that, that should inform how I listen to sermons. That should inform how I sing and how I participate. Because if I'm loving him with my heart, soul, mind, and strength, with the people of God as a listener and as a singer and as a participant in his worship, that means I- I'm not here as a spectator. Now, if you're new, if you're not a Christian, thanks for coming. You're welcome to come spectate all you want. I'm talking to people who... who, who uh, already have a relationship with Christ. Or if you're a brand new believer, or, if, or maybe you're not a new believer, but you're from a background that's very different, and so you're really used to perhaps a choir or an organ and a hymnal or something like that, and you go, wow, this is just weird. That, th- be a spectator. That's fine. I mean, I'm not talking to folks who are new believers or not believers or seasoned believers from a different background. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about those of us who who know the Lord, who understand what's going on, and who, you know, who are embracing, are part of this community. And we're, just, we're not spectators. We're lovers of God. We're not evaluators. We're participants. We aren't picking and choosing as consumers. Well, a couple of those songs this morning I didn't like. That's okay. They weren't for you. <laughs> they were for Jesus. And if the words were true... He liked them. He liked them. We love him by gathering to receive the sacraments. And so we receive the Lord's Supper as an ex- grateful for his love, as an expression of love to him. We, we participate in baptism to celebrate what he has done in giving us new life. And we watch that and we celebrate God's work. We love him by celebrating a baptized life. We worship him by receiving the body and the blood of our Lord. We love him as we gather to pray. So before the service, there is prayer. Thank you for those who are going early and praying to the Lord that he would move in this gathering and in this meeting. So we pray before the service. We pray in the service multiple times. Normally, we pray after the sermon for people. Why? Because we're dependent. We need the Lord. And it's a great expression of love to say, I need you. When your little child comes running up to you, arms up to you saying, Mommy, I need you. There's something endearing to your heart about that. 
you want, you, there's something that represents, what that represents is you have the power to help me and I think you're good and you're willing to help me. And you're coming, where's my source of help? It's mommy, it's daddy, that's what the toddler, that's all they know. And as we come in prayer, we are loving the Lord. How are we to pray? Jesus said, our Father in heaven. That's personal. That's relational. That's love. It's an ideal father. Maybe you had a very bad dad. Uh, But this is talking about the ideal perfect father, the heavenly father. Father, dad, we're coming with a personal sense. So prayer is a language of love to the Lord. We hear him speak to us. We want to hear. We love him. We want to know his word. We want to know what honors and what pleases him. We want to know how he's loved us and what he's done for us. That's hearing the word preached. We respond with singing, songs of love, prayers of love, meditations, just listening to love. We pray. This is an expression of love to the Lord. We give to him. I I hope it's really clear that when we give, and if it's not, we bear responsibility for not making this clear as leaders. When we give to the Lord, it's not so that we get something. Man, I'm going to give because, you know, I'm, I'm in there for the hundredfold blessing and we're just claiming. It's just, it's, it's, like a, it's, it's like a, you know, a mathematical thing. You do this and this happens. It's like cause and effect. No, we're given primarily because we love the Lord. We're giving joyfully because we love the Lord, because we want others to know him, because we want to participate tangibly in what he's doing in this community. It's also a way of to love others. But we do that out of joy, not obligation. And it's so easy to get perfunctory and to get religious and to get habitual. But the call is all of our being loving the Lord. And every Lord's Day when we gather, this is an opportunity for us to express corporately our love to the Lord. We love him by gathering to serve and to receive ministry from those who serve. To have the Holy Spirit's gifts used in our midst. We honor him by looking to see his gifts go forth. So what are we doing here on Sunday morning? We're recognizing that the Lord, our God, our God, we're in covenant with him. The Lord, our God is one. There is only one God. We are his people. He rules. He reigns. We're here to recognize his absolute rulership. And not only does he rule, but he has loved us. He has reached us when we could never reach him. He has rescued us from sin. He has given us new life. He has given us his Holy Spirit to live in us. And now he puts a love in our heart that we are to express that love to him. And we do that through everything that's going on. And we also love others. That's next week. But we also love others as we gather. So I'm not going to talk about that. I'm just talking about loving him. So a disciple that loves the Lord is someone who follows him, who has received the love of Jesus and then responds with love to him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. In a moment, we're about to sing the hymn, Here is love, vast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood. When the prince of life, our ransom, shed for us his precious blood, Who his love will not remember? Who can cease to sing his praise? He can never be forgotten throughout heaven's eternal days. This is what we're about for all eternity. I love that song. It's true. His vast love, vaster than the ocean, the Jesus, the Prince of Life, shedding his blood for us. How could we not remember that? How could we cease? We will not cease to praise, but we will remember that throughout the eternity of heaven. The lamb on the throne is, is holy, righteous, sovereign, 
and loving. The very fact he's a lamb and bleeds his life out suffering for us is a picture of God's love for us. As we wrap up, let me ask you this. Do you see yourself drawn here by love? God's drawing us together in love. Do you see yourself as expressing to God your heart, soul, mind, and strength in love? Let let me ask you this. How might your gathering on Sunday change? How might we all change if we said, this is about God touching me in his love so that I could respond to love him corporately with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? I want us to be able to close with song. So I had a whole other point. I didn't manage this time real well. The other one was on personal devotion. You can go back and read Mary, Mar- Mary and Martha, Luke 10, 38 through 42. We've talked about that uh, recently. So that's, uh, that's something we'll talk about another time. But I-, I wanted to talk about our corporate devotion and then our private devotion. Let's pray, and then we're going to close with singing today as we look to the Lord for what he's done for us. The appropriate response to thinking about how do we love the Lord as preeminent and as loving um, is to respond in this context on a Sunday morning with singing to Him. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.